and welcome. This is Trials and Tribulations. I'm Phil Airy and I've got my two cohorts. Sarah Owen Hughes and me, Faith Douglas. Well, do you know, I love this time of year. I like this time of year because... I don't like winter. I don't like the onset of winter, but I do like clearing the garden ready for winter and getting that that tidy look and pruning things back. So what uh, what sort of things are, are you pruning back now, Sarah? Well, a form of pruning that I do at, at about now for the last time for the year is is the last mow of the grass because that is effectively a form of pruning. You're cutting the plant back to keep it in shape mm-hmm. so it puts its energy into the roots. So you don't want to do it when you've got frost coming in. So it's been quite mild, so that's one of the things that we do at home. The other pruning that I tend to do, because I'm relatively, well, I'm light with my pruning because once I get let loose with my secateurs, I can I can get quite over-enthusiastic, so I have to hold back a little bit. So I, I make sure that my conifers are in shape. So I've got a U cone that I like to just give a little trim because it's just started to go out of shape at this time of year. But I also just knock back buddleias and roses by about a third at this time. And it's not for any other reason than they're in a relatively exposed area. And it's so they don't suffer from wind rock, which the wind blows them over and the roots come flying out. So, so You're shaking your head at me, Faith. Go on. I am. Why? I am. I disagree. Do you? <laughs> I do. Well, well, I'll start with your grass pruning. I love that. I love the fact that you, you've mentioned grass as pruning because that's exactly yeah. what it is. You're pruning yeah. your grass. Um, and I have to say, I've missed the window this year. Have I you? have missed the window. My grass is too long to be yeah. winter and it's too wet to cut. Mm. Yeah. Um, I not cut my grass right now because I've left it too late and it's too wet. Had we had a, you know, had the last few weeks been a little bit drier, I'd have been all right. But it hasn't. I think I've no. got the window. So in spring, it's going to be so much harder to cut and to get, get it, yeah. you know, into into some sort of decent shape. But, you know, it, it comes back. Grass is amazing. We cut it. We walk on it. We stamp on it. We we kill it. It comes back. You know, grass is amazing. Um Budliers. Oh, what are you cutting them now for? You know, we, we I know a lot of people cut budliers at this time of the year. I get the windrock thing. Um, but a lot of people cut budliers at this time of the year because they don't want to spread the seeds as well. They cut the yeah. seeds heads off. Um, because Budlier grows everywhere, doesn't it? Mm. I've seen it yeah. growing yeah. the side of motorway bridges and all sorts. It's um, you know, it, it grows everywhere. Where we grow our budlier in the Arboretum, we're lucky because it's in an incredibly sheltered area. It's almost hugged by um, a whole load of conifers and we grow our buddleias to a height. We do prune them religiously every year because they grow to, we, we grow them to a height so the flowers are at head height so you get yeah. those nice flowers. But we don't cut them at this time of the year because they won't suffer from wind rock. We're not really that fussed whether or not they seed and because we quite often like to move plants around and, and they, they don't often get chance to set root to be honest mm-hmm. um, and we tend to cut our budlier back in March and we give them a real hard prune yeah but back generally to the same sort of height each year so we have that head height flower now at home in my own garden 
my buddliers are humongous. They are mm -hmm. the biggest buddliers I've ever seen because yeah. I have never once cut. I don't need to. They're, the garden is big enough that I can just let them loose. You know, I never cut them. The wind never blows them down. They are, some of them are quite exposed, but they're so big and yeah. so well established. They're not going anywhere. But seeds are an issue. Mm -hmm. So the seeds do set roots. They do find their feet and they do start growing. Now, luckily, I've got a big enough garden to cope with Budlia popping up here, there and everywhere. And also, I use that as free plants because I'll get yeah. Budlia plop up. I've got no idea what colour it's going to be because I've got different coloured buddleias and I might either pot it on, give it to a friend or I move it in a space where I can grow it on yeah. and it will be humongous as well. <laughs> um, roses, yeah, we, we prune, um, we grow rugosa type roses and we yeah. grow standard roses. So we prune them slightly differently um, as, to, as the bush ro roses I would reduce by a third at this time of the year absolutely to prevent wind rot and and then give them a really really good prune back sort of january february time um as with my climbers i do that as well and i tend to cut the rugosa types back really hard back in january february time and the standards i put into shape in january february there they tend to be um caned so the wind cannot really chuck them oh, down because the, the, the flower is very much the balls at the top of the the stick so I can't really stop them from rocking around apart from yeah so yeah but the sort of works that we have going on pruning wise um in the arboretum are big it's big tree maintenance at this time of the year it might be um the the maintenance of trees that need a little bit of crown cleanup perhaps we might go in and look at removing some deadwood high up in the canopies we we like to leave some deadwood because it's good for the ecosystem but also we've got to keep an eye out what's what's appearing over the paths where the public walk for safety reasons um and we've got coming up this year which is quite interesting um the major pruning of our um 16th century catherine par oak and this is right. a huge, enormous tree that sadly in the past has been pruned incredibly uh, poorly. It's um, been created. If you were to ask uh, um, a child to draw a tree, they would draw a stick of broccoli, essentially, a lo like, like a lollipop. Uh -huh. Now, that's what this English oak looks like. And it absolutely shouldn't look like that. You know, this English oak has grown in a parkland setting and you should be able to swing off the bottom branches. However, in the past... Um, people have wanted to expose the trunk, so they've pruned it quite heavily, quite high up. So you've got this huge stem and this great big ball of a canopy sitting on the top, which is not great. And it's it's stressed out, this this big old tree. Now, you know, English oak's got a, a lifespan of, you know, what, 2,000 years maybe? You know, they can mm -hmm. live uh, for a ripe old age. And if we look after it properly, we can we can help this tree go on into the future. You know, it can be standing here on this planet much longer than we will be here. Um, and we can do this by veteranizing it, by retrenching the canopy, which is the type of pruning um, that we do every maybe three to four years. We're doing this in four, in four stages. So every four years um, over a period of, of time. Um, and this can take, you know, 15 years to to establish to how, how you want it to be so it's a slow process this this process takes time and this tree will have its canopy retrenched so that means it will make will make the canopy smaller and more compact to take the pressure 
out of the the sale that we've created in a way and um, mm -hmm. bring its center of gravity back to where it should be uh -huh. ideally we will push out some new growth so it will be lower down it, it will be more compact inside the canopy so you will be end you'll end up with a giant stem and a very small crown um now the really interesting way in 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 which we we cut this tree so it's not like a normal chainsaw pruning cut in a, in a tree uh we actually tear the cuts so uh you might look at it from from the ground and go blimey that's you know bad tree surgery that looks really dodgy um and the idea is is you start the cut and you allow it to tear mm -hmm. and it tears in a controlled fashion in a controlled way and it stresses the tree um, to think it's had uh, storm damage. So oaks are very, very good. And, and don't get me wrong, you can't do this with every species of tree, but you mm -hmm. can do this with oak and it works really well for oak. Other trees, you would kill them. Not a good idea, you know. Um, but an oak, it works. You know, the wind will come along, it will blow a the, the the tree will lose its branch and it copes, it lives, it thrives. Now it does, by, by doing the cut to mimic the storm damage, you create a little bit of stress and it's a little bit enough of stress for the tree to then kick out lots of new growth almost panic a little bit to go oh blimey come on i need to do something about that so when we did our first cut about four years ago on this this glorious tree we did all these cuts and um i stood back and i was like right you know hands together please this could be the difference between me keeping my job and losing my job here this mm -hmm. is going to work stood back didn't really know what was going to happen and the next year in the spring and the summer we noticed that the crown looked incredibly busy much busier than it had ever done before and that's exactly what the tree did so it had the yeah. cuts mimicked the stress it pushed out so much growth um that actually it's never looked healthier now it's just mm -hmm. set to receive its next cut this year so it will be interesting to see how it reacts next year when we do this process again to save this magnificent tree Fantastic. Now, the, the science behind that as well applies to pruning grass or pruning a huge tree. And it's a, it's a principle called apical dominance, um, which Faith nodding away at this. I find it completely fascinating that plants produce auxins, chemicals, hormones that pump up and down the plant and send signals to the rest of the plant suppressing side growth because the plant is trying to grow upwards towards the light so it can photosynthesize as effectively as possible. And if anything happens to the tip of the plant, whether it's it's grazed or it's mown or it's pruned or it's frosted, the message then stops. It stops being sent up and down the plant and the side shoots that are being held in a dormant situation shoot out. They start to shoot out sideways. That's why if you're growing a new hedge, if you're planting a new hedge, you mustn't cut it until it's exactly the height you want it to be. And when you cut it at that height, it will then thick, thicken out and you get a beautiful, thick, dense hedge. The amount of times I've gone to people's houses and, and they've taken me to the gardens and gone, look at this hedge that we grew. And it, we were getting annoyed because it looked scrappy. So we cut the tops off at three foot high and now we've only got a three foot high hedge. So, well, yes, you will have because you've stopped it from growing and it's now thinks that it's reached the absolute height it's going to stay at and it's fattened out. So it is absolutely what you'd hope 
would happen with a tree of that age. But of course, you're now encouraging that juvenile growth. So you kind of hope that the plant still remembers how to do that and, and send out cells, cellular growth that's young and vigorous. It's going to be so interesting seeing how that tree develops over the next sort of 10, 20 years, Faith. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd like to think that in, you know, another five or six hundred years time, that tree is still going to be standing there. It's got a yeah. really interesting open door cavity on the back of it, which is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Envisage that at some point. Well, I won't be doing this because I won't be here. But, you know, in hundreds of years time, somebody will be able to go inside that tree, mm. stand inside the tree, inside the trunk, look up. Yes, it may not have much canopy left, but that canopy will be living. It will be alive. Yeah. So that tree will still be alive. And what a magnificent eco-habitat that will be. Fantastic. They support about 500 different species, don't they, oak trees? They're incredibly rich. But what right. about you, Phil? What sort of garden work are you doing? Right, well, it's just about clearing now. It's getting clear, ready for the onset of winter. I think a lot of people don't, cut back the roses uh, at this time and they just leave them i think it's a really good time to cut back in my this is how i was taught by a very old gentleman when i was just but a sprig of a lamb um he would say you need to cut it down be half lad for the winter yeah and i've always done that ready for then the very start of spring to then cut it further down uh, down to the first node. Um, but, I mean, th that's... I, th I think a lot of people, with, with especially roses, I don't think they prune them enough, in my opinion. They get too stocky, no. too woody. Um, and I think you shouldn't be overly frightened of taking them down, but not too far, not until in springtime. Um, now, I used to do something called time and motion. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. Uh, time and motion mm -hmm. was it's a, it was a way to get us to work harder at the health authority in the garden parks department to get us to do things quicker. So um, <laughs> I was I was taught how to prune the rose, and fair enough, I did it the right way. But then time and motion came along, uh, and we had something like thirty seconds of rose to cut. This year, we just decided, well, we haven't the time, but we need to do it because then you don't get your bonus. So, yep, we have got a chainsaw. I would not recommend this at all. <gasps> we just got a chainsaw, cut it right down to the, uh, to the probably about five inches from, well, not even five inches, probably about three inches from the, the bottom. Cut them, uh, cleaned it all up. And we got our bonus. And do you know something? That the, the most terrible thing happened. They looked wonderful the, the year after. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, commercial, commercial rose growers do that still yeah. when they're growing in the field. They're growing the roses ready to pot on to sell to the to, to plant nurseries. Uh -huh. They actually do that. They prune them with hedge trimmers because it's cheaper and easier. And mm. also... The stress on the plant forces better yeah. flowering. I, I remember, You just reminded me of a, a time when I was talking to, again, a venerable uh, expert, uh, a gardener, head gardener, who, who did a lot of pruning in the uh, estate he managed. And I was asking him about this pruning now, this pruning in the winter, and then pruning again in the spring for things like buddleys and roses. And he looked at me and he said, the way I see it, if you're pruning for yourself, prune it in the spring 
if you're pruning for a paying customer, you absolutely have to prune them twice. <laughs> <laughs> I like his style. Did, didn't they... Didn't they do stu- a study with roses? And I'm not sure if they did this at Ascombe Bryan College, actually, a number of years ago. I might be wrong, but mm-hmm. I- I'm sure they might have done it there. And there was a study done with roses. And yeah. They pruned them and cut them. And um, they they had this bunch of roses in this bed. And some were cut with secateurs only at the correct yep. time, just secateurs. Methodically, takes a bit of time, bit of high maintenance yep. there. Uh, some were, were done with a hedge cutter. So yeah. they got a hedge cutter and just went jump, really quick, much simpler. And some were done with a chainsaw as well. So mm-hmm. straight across. And they said, I think the, the findings were that the ones that were cut with the hedge cutter and the chainsaw to begin with flourished. They had the most amazing flowers, the mm-hmm. most amazing new growth. And the, the one that was cut manually with the secateurs was a little bit further behind, not as showy, not as wow factor. But I think the knock-on effect was that the, the rose that lasted the longest, its lifespan was the longest, was the one with the secateurs because right. the, the, the messy cuts that were, that were done mm-hmm. on the other roses with the hedge cutter and with the, the chainsaw eventually um, encouraged disease yeah encouraged other things to come along so you ended up with very unhealthy roses so yeah. whilst those first couple of years they might have looked great but actually the knock-on effect is don't do it take the time yeah. cut with a pair of secateurs it they'll last longer interesting yeah right then faith fact of the pod Okay, so my favourite thing, this. Did you know that the very expensive spice, saffron, actually comes from a type of crocus? Now, do you know I did know that? I might not know yes, a lot of I things, did. but I've I knew that. I've grown it once. I've grown it once. <laughs> we have them growing in the Arboretum, actually. They're beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little purple crocus that grow um, alongside the pinetum and they flower in the autumn, not the spring. They do. Mm. And you can pull out the saffron tendrils with a, with a pair of tweezers. And imagine my joy and delight when I went back into the kitchen to find them that I'd put in an egg cup to find a <laughs> people in the compost oh. for me. And, and, you know, I don't know what happened, but those crocuses did not come back the following year. So it was a one-trick pony for well, me. Well, I absolutely don't shout about the saffron crocus. I, I've just done that in the Arboretum because I don't want anybody picking them. Don't touch our saffron crocuses. This is the thought of the pod. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about the air that we breathe, our breath, the life-giving air that is 
all around us. Do you know, breathing has an enormous effect on our entire nervous system. And when we actually breathe correctly, relaxed and steadily through the nose, all the way down into our abdomen and our diaphragm, we can trigger our vagus nerve, which connects the rest of our body to our brain. This in turn triggers our parasympathetic nervous system, which is the body's rest and digest response. It's our feel good system. When we're in this response, serotonins, those wonderful happy chemicals are released into our body. We feel great. However, when we fail to breathe correctly, such as too rapidly or breathing shallow, we activate a stress response. Our thoughts will become cluttered, our bodies become tense and stressed, our immune system is lowered, which is an open invitation for illness and disease. You know, we breathe on average between anywhere around 20 to 30,000 times a day. You know, how many of those breaths are you actually aware of? We can change the way we feel by changing our breath. We can change our bodies by changing our breath. You know, a lot of good can come from breathing correctly. So I wanted to share with you a very, very simple balancing breath practice that you can do anywhere and everywhere. It's a very safe practice. You can even do it behind the wheel of your car. All you need to simply do is sit, feet on the ground, in a relaxed but upright manner. Nice relaxed shoulders, relaxed jaw, relaxed neck muscles, and a soft tummy. And we inhale for four, and we exhale for four. It's a very simple balancing practice. The beauty of this practice is if you're feeling stressed and tense, this practice will bring you down. If you're feeling down and depressed, this practice will bring you up. Balance, that's exactly what it's about. So I'm just gonna guide you very gently through a very simple 10 breath practice and see how you feel. So find somewhere comfortable to sit. Put both of your feet steadily on the ground Sit up straight, but relaxed. Relax the shoulders, relax the neck, relax the jaw, soft tummy. And close down your eyes as long as you're not driving. We're gonna inhale for four and we're gonna exhale for four. On my count, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, 
two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. Last one, inhale, one, two, three, four. Exhale, four, three, two, one. And just relax your breathing back to normal. How do you feel? Now the time that we're going through at the moment is very difficult for most of us. Uh, it's a very confusing, very unnerving time. There's a lot of extra stresses and strains and worries. And this sort of practice can really, really help us to feel, feel better. It can help us to be mindful. It can keep us in the moment. And most importantly, when we're calm, when we're relaxed, don't forget, you know, our immune system is boosted. We're stronger, we're fitter, we're healthier if we're connected correctly with our bodies and we're breathing correctly. So if you can try and introduce this practice into your daily life, it's a very simple practice, you know, that the positive effects will be unbelievable. Well, that's it. Thanks for listening. That's been another edition of Trials and Tribulations. Now, if you liked it, please subscribe and follow. But until next time, keep it green. <laughs>